All right. It's always good to see that parade, isn't it? If you were in Bible class, and I hope you were, you were introduced to the letter to the Ephesians. And uh, as has become our custom here at Johnson Street, during the fall, we combine our preaching with our Bible class teaching. And I have liked this because it gives us a chance to spend a little more time on each passage. Uh, there's so much in a passage, and oftentimes we kind of just run through it and miss so many things. So this way, by looking at it on Sunday morning in both classes and sermon, we hope we touch a little bit more. Uh, the letter to the Ephesians is a wonderful letter, and look forward to the next few weeks spending time in it. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. We're going to begin by reading verses 3 through 6 of Ephesians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. May God bless the reading of his word. You guys are in good voice today. I tell you, the singing's been excellent. Thanks, Brian. You know, every week, at the first of the week, I start working on the text for the coming Sunday and read over it, study it, read what other people have to say about it. But that text sort of begins to live in my Head And as Pat can attest, sometimes when she's talking to me, I'm sort of off in another world still thinking about that text. And because I do, uh, some weird thoughts sometimes pop into my mind. And uh, this week, for some reason, I kept thinking of a can of potato chips. And I kept thinking, well, that's strange. You know, I don't need to be thinking about a can of potato chips. I need to be working on this text. But the can of potato chips just kept coming back. And so Friday, Pat and I had lunch together. And she said, what are you going to do now? Are you going back to the office? I said, well, first I've got to go get me a can of potato chips. And she said, okay, why? And I said, for the sermon on Sunday. Duh. And uh, she said, all right. So <laughs> I've got my can of potato chips. And so if y'all don't mind... I'd like to open it, and uh, we'll move on from there, okay? Uh-oh. How many of you saw that coming? <laughs> the reason this kind of can of potato chips kind of kept coming back to my mind is because this text is so cram-packed. As I was looking at it, I thought, there is so much in there. How in the world will we ever talk about that much? It just seems like I got the, the vision in my mind of a, of a clay jar. If I can pull it up there, there we go. Uh, not so much a Pringles potato chip can, but a, a clay jar that Paul just stuffed and stuffed and stuffed and stuffed. And then when you take the lid off of it, all these things just kind of pop out. So that's not even all that's in this text. But what in the world do you talk about out of all of those things that are found in the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1? Well, we're going to mainly look at 3 through 6. But even then, I'm warning you, we're not going to say everything that needs to be said. 
As I said before, I hope you did go to class and you talked more about these things, but we're at least going to touch on some of the things that Paul crammed into this marvelous, wonderful text. We're going to begin with verse 4 instead of of verse 3. We'll back up to 3 in a moment. In verse 4, Paul says this, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. Wow. So many wonderful concepts to talk about in that. But I'm going to pull one of them out. All right? So if you're a note taker, here is point one. You ready? Here we go. Point number one. In love, God chose us through Christ to be on his side. Now, that thought takes me back to Edwards Elementary School, where I went to grades one through three. Did you go to Edwards, Sid? I'm sorry. You went where? Oh, I'm sorry. You know, Lynn Bowling, it's funny, we've got some other Monahans people around here. Lynn Bowling went to Brown Elementary, and, uh, you know, uh, what can I say? But anyway, I went to Edwards, the best school in Monahans, Texas. All right? I'm getting off. We would go out at recess, and uh, usually us guys would play football. Sometimes baseball, but mainly football. And to do that, you had to divide into two teams. Well, the first thing you do when you're going to divide into two teams is you get two captains, right? Well, that got to be such a problem. I remember sometimes we spent the whole recess arguing about who was going to be the two captains. That finally the teacher got wise to this. And so before we went out to recess, she would say, are you boys going to play football? And we'd say, yeah. And she'd say, okay, here's captain one, here's captain two. And that way, that was settled. We could just go out on the playground. We knew who the captains were. Well, once you get out there and you've got the captains, all of us would stand in one big group back here, and the two captains are up here, and they would begin choosing their teams one by one. Now, my question is, what were the standards or the criteria that the captains used to choose their two teams or their teams? There's really two criteria there. Number one criteria can be who's the best athlete, right? If you want to win the game, you're going to pick the guys that can actually throw and catch the ball, okay? But there's really another criteria that came into play that sometimes overrode that first one. Who did they pick first? Their friends. That's right. They would pick their friends, even if their friend wasn't the best of players, Well, it was so neat to be one of those first or two draft choices, you know? You know, that just made you feel so good. For whatever reason you were chosen, that when the captain said, okay, first choice, I want Tommy. Boy, you kind of strut up there, you know, (laughs) look at me. Because what you didn't want to be is in that kind of group at the end where nobody wanted them. And you just say, okay, you guys go over there and you guys go over there. And you kind of walk over like that, you know, okay, here we go. I thought of that here because Paul says that God has chosen us to be on his team. But he didn't choose us because we're amazing people. He didn't choose us because we're so good looking. He didn't choose us because there's anything about us that is necessarily appealing to him. He chose us because he loves us. 
Because he wants us to be his friends. He wants us to be on his side. And therefore, even those of us who feel at times such failures, those of us who feel like God would never care or choose me, we're wrong. Because right here at the very beginning, Paul makes the statement that in Christ, God has chosen us to be on his side. Why? Because he loves us. Well, let's move on to the second point. Second point is found in verse 5. God destined us for adoption as children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. A little bit different words. So let's get ready for point number two. Now, I try to take things slow. I know school just started. Our minds are kind of swirling around, so I don't want to go too fast on this. So let's back up and look at number one again. I hope you got that down. Point number one is this. In verse four, in love, God chose us through Christ to be on his side. Now then, Paul makes point two in verse five. You ready for a new point? Here we go. In love, God chose us through Christ to be on his side. Paul thinks that that is so important. He's got to say it again. Because we are our worst enemies. We're always convincing ourselves that we can't make it. That God can't like us. He can't choose us. And God is choosing who's going to be on his team. He'll pick someone else before he picks me. So in two different ways, Paul says the same thing. Here he uses family language. He says that he chose us to be in his family. You know, the old saying is, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your relatives. That doesn't apply to God. (laughs) God can choose who his children are. And Paul is just exulting in this passage because he's saying, he chose us to be adopted into his family. Why? Well, here he uses the words, according to the good pleasure of his will, which if you want to scramble that up and translate it, it means because he loves us. Because he wants us. He wants us to be on his side. Now, that brings up a problem for God, though. The problem is this. God has thrown open his arms and says, come on, be one of my people. Be part of my family. Be on my team. So he gets together a team. And the problem back on Edwards Elementary, if you recruited only on the basis of friendship then sometimes your team wasn't that good. So what is God going to do with us once he brings us together as a team to get us ready to do what he wants us to do? Because he has a job for us. There is a battle out there, as Paul will say in Ephesians chapter 6. There's a war going on. So not only are we on his side, we're on his team, we're in his family, we're in his army. Well, how is he going to get us ready to go out there and do these things that we're really not equipped to do? Well, we're going to back up to verse 3 to pick that up. Verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. That's another point we need to talk about, but we're not about how many times he talks about in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We're in a whole new realm, aren't we? Well, anyway, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Two things I want to emphasize in this. One is every spiritual blessing. 
everything that we need to do the work that God has called us to do, God is going to give to us. He's going to pour into our lives. That's why he can afford to take someone like you and me and put us in his family, in his army, on his team. Because he can give us what we need to do the things that he needs for us to do. Every spiritual blessing. And to emphasize the word spiritual, he goes on and says, in the heavenly places, in the heavenly realm, these blessings that he gives us come from heaven itself. Now here we need to back up just a minute and spend not too long, but kind of looking once again at how we as Christians, as lovers of God, as his people, view reality. You see, the Christian worldview is this. There are really two realms that are going on at the same time. There is the physical realm in which we live. As Alan was talking about, the things we can see and touch, and even the things that we can feel, everything about our physical nature fits into this physical world. It's really all we know by our senses and by our experiences. But at the same time, there is a heavenly realm that is in existence. Now, it's not that we believe that heaven is up in the sky somewhere and then we're on earth and then you know what's under the earth down there. That's really kind of a simplistic view that that's not really what the Bible's telling us. Heaven exists and earth exists, the spiritual and the physical. We occupy really the same space and the same time, but we're separate. Now, when God created Out of the spiritual, he created the physical. He intended for the two to be linked. That's why the the book of Genesis is wonderful. The first few chapters of Genesis tells us so much about what we need to know about ourselves in very colorful and picturesque language. But you remember how whenever everything was created, heaven and earth were very close and were very linked. God walked in the garden, didn't he? And there was free and and, and, and easy intersection between the two. But then the story goes on that the physical realm rebelled against God. We set up ourselves as God, and therefore we have been separate from God. And therefore we live only in the physical, and then there's the heavens. There's a heavenly realm that's all around us, in the same time, in the same space, but we can't get to it until God decided it was time. God decided it was time for heaven and earth to touch again. And to do that, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. In the heavens, the spiritual being became physical. And that is exactly why when Jesus arrived on this earth, some of the first words out of his mouth in his ministry was, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is here. Heaven and earth once again overlap. Jesus in his ministry did heavenly things on this earth. Everything that Jesus did was something that showed what heavenly justice and heavenly righteousness and what heaven is all about. He taught, he exhorted, he encouraged, he healed. And then finally when the people rejected him, And he was crucified and he was buried. He rose from the dead and said, no more. No more will that physical death be the end of everything for you. 
And then when Jesus, in his new resurrected body, left this physical earth and returned back to heaven, he's still here because the overlap is there. He created and brought to this earth the kingdom of heaven. One day, it's going to go like this and all be one. Paul talks about that. There is a day coming when every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. In this particular passage, in verse 10, he said, The day is coming when he will gather together all things for himself in heaven and on earth. The book of Revelation talks about it, that one day, earth, I mean the heaven will come down and be joined to the earth. There will be a new heaven, there will be a new earth, and we will live in the kingdom of heaven forever. That day is coming, but already it's here. The kingdom of heaven is in our midst, and we have been called to live in that overlap. We have been called to already be citizens of that kingdom. We are the ones going ahead and announcing the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is our future. One day, Jesus will return. One day, heaven and earth will be united again. So what are we doing then in this interim time? What are we doing within the kingdom? We're living as kingdom people. We are living what God has called us to be. That's the source of our morality. That's why we don't do things that some other people do because the things they're doing are of this world. We are people of the kingdom of heaven. We treat our bodies, we do our things the way that God has asked us to do. It's the reason that we go about doing good for others. It's because that's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. Justice will prevail. All that is evil will be thrown away. Therefore, we're already about that business. We already take the goodness and the fairness and the justice and the, uh, of God to people and say, here is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. We live our lives in love. You know, we're getting to a time in our history on this earth where it's kind of scary and there's some showdowns coming, aren't there? There are other religions on this earth whose extremist believers believe that the way you bring the kingdom of their God to earth is through beheadings, through terrorism, through fear. We are called upon to fight that, to fight that by showing that is not the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is about righteousness. It's about love. It's about fairness. It's about real justice. It's about goodness triumphing over evil. That is our view of who we are. That is our view of the kingdom of heaven. That is why when God gets us ready, as Paul continues on this list of blessings, he gives us several in this passage. And as we go through the letter to the Ephesians, we're going to run in again to this whole idea of kingdom. We're going to run in again to this whole idea of the blessings that God gives us to get us ready. Until we get to chapter 6 where he says, put on your armor and get out there and fight. The blessings that Paul mentions in this passage are our redemption, that we have been bought again, that we have been set up on our feet again, that we've been given worth again. It talks about our forgiveness, that all those things that kind of haunt us about we shouldn't have done that, we shouldn't have said that, God said, okay, in my book you didn't. It's over. Keep on going. He gives us the mystery of his will. We've been talking about that, the idea that there is a heaven. 
that one day we'll be up on this earth in new heaven and new earth when God and Jesus will reign supreme over all. The inheritance that we will have, our eternal life that we will live with him in that kingdom forever. Our salvation, our healing, our wholeness to be put back together, to be able to walk this earth with confidence, not in fear of all the things that are around us, but in confidence that we're on the winning side and that God one day will triumph and his glory will be seen. And then certainly, probably most importantly of all to us, the Holy Spirit, to lead us in our kingdom walk, to show us what it is like to empower us to all to the best of our physical ability today to be who we're called to be. It is all through the power of the Spirit which God has sent to live in each one of us. That is our mission. That is our calling. That is who we are. One more little phrase that pops up in this passage over and over that I can't leave without reminding you of. All through this passage, Paul gets so excited about this whole concept that God has chosen us chosen us to be special people in his kingdom. He says the whole reason for our existence at this time is this. We are called upon to be to the praise of his glorious grace. And in case we missed that, he says it again a little bit later. He says we are called to live for the praise of his glory. We are called to be people who live to the praise of the glory of God. May that be our mission today. May we leave this place knowing that we are kingdom people who are here to bless this earth that needs the kingdom of God so much and showing them the love, the mercy, the grace of God. And may we leave here with the confidence of knowing that one day God will set all things right. And when he does, he will look at us and say, and you guys, you guys knew it all along. Come and be a part of my heavenly home. That's his invitation. It's our invitation too. God has chosen us. He says, come be on my side. Let's take those steps and walk over to him. Let's stand and sing.